0: And we forget that this passage is ultimately meant to point you to Jesus, not yourself. We can easily look upon the things that Paul says here as a self-help manual for our life or for our church. But that's not the case. It is meant to reveal and point to you the only one who can give life. And that's Jesus. So as we come to this text. Let us not come looking to it and how we can give ourselves a pat on the back and say, oh, what a good boy, or good girl I've been. Let's let's not come to it to see how we can improve ourselves, but rather let's come to this passage to reveal our sin, to reveal our weakness and our failures before God so that we can cry out to God and seeing just how fully and sufficient Christ was and is for us all by faith in him alone. And by consequence, then, we will end up doing the very things that we're called to do in this text. So let the guilt of the law reveal our sins to convict us. Let the grace of the gospel uplift and comfort us. And let us follow our Lord and Savior out of gratitude for what he's done for us. Amen? Okay, so we're going to look at the text. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. Now, it's important to realize that Paul here is not addressing a special class of Christian. He's not just talking to the leadership of the church. For he says here, brothers, which is another way of saying fellow believers without distinction. So leaders and non-leaders, If you have faith in Christ, this applies to you. So listen up. Pay special attention to what's about to be said. Because the word urge here means a special call, a special attention to. Or put more directly, it's to all of us. Paul here is saying, all of you brothers and sisters in the faith, you all have this great calling upon your life to what I'm about to say. This is not just a pastor thing. It's not just a leadership thing. It's an all of us thing. And what is this calling then upon the whole church? Well, as our title has stated, be a ministering church. So Paul then here in verse three talks about three different types of people were called to minister to. Now, it's not, the, it's not a full list, but it's a major list. And he lays out the ways that we're called to minister to them. And it's important to realize that what Paul's saying here, it's not just a one-time approach to these groups of people, but it's an ongoing approach to these people. Now, two things that I want to state before we look and define each group. First, I want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you and myself to let the Lord reveal to you how you should be increasing or maybe just starting for the first time to interact with people the way that's laid out in Scripture here. It may be like, oh, I didn't realize I'm supposed to do that. Or maybe you can increase in it. Let the Lord show you how you have been missing the mark in these areas amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ in the Lord. And that could be people right in this church that could be your believing spouse or your believing kids. And secondly, ask the Lord okay? Ask the Lord if maybe you are one of these groups of people stated here in this text. And maybe you haven't even realized it or you've been trying to deny it. And pray then that the Lord will bring people in your life to help you turn away from pursuing such avenues. Or maybe, just maybe, you probably you may have to ask the Lord to help you listen to those who have already been ministering to you so that you don't ignore them or get offended by them. So okay, to the text. Paul states in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, he says, for all of us, admonish the idol, not idols, the idol. So who are these idol people we are to admonish? Who are we should be? Who should we be correcting? But not in a harsh way, as in to provoke anger, right? Because when he's saying admonish, he's not saying beat them up. He's saying to correct them, but. A way in a way that helps mature and expands one ins, one's insight into Jesus and His gospel of grace to empower them in life. Well, for the direct context, the word "idle" doesn't just mean not being lazy or being lazy, but it means having a rebellious attitude and being disorderly. For not for people not wanting to fulfill their church life and personal life callings and responsibilities. Not wanting, for example, to help move things along in the church, or help the needs of the church, or help with the needs at the home, being idle. But rather, they're being rebellious by neglecting and being careless with life's responsibilities, Ignoring and not being good stewards with what God has provided for them. And we get some specifics as to what Paul was speaking about, what he actually directly has in mind. And he says this in his second letter. Yes, there is a second letter of Thessalonians. The second letter to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For example, Paul speaks again about this idle people not wanting to use their God-given gifts to provide a living for themselves, but would rather just have the church take care of them fully and gossip why they do it and complain why they do it. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says this, For even when we were with you, we would give this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies, gossiping. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord, Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So the obvious application would be that we all should be encouraged to try to be our best in self-sustaining ourselves financially and not to exploit the church to take care of our financial needs and to gossip while we do it. Okay, so there you go. And rather, we should work to give portions of our earnings to the Lord and his church through our tithes and offerings to help people who really need it and to spread his kingdom. That's why we tithe. That's why we we give financially to the church. You know, to have these lights on and so on so we can hear the gospel and be motivated. Trust in Jesus. But here's the thing. I think the principle here goes deeper than that. right? That's just the outlook of the problem. There's more of a heart issue that Paul is addressing. For example, a good question to ask, and I think we all should ask. I need to ask, we should ask the Lord from time to time if we have become idle in our serving him within the church. We need to ask ourselves, have we become idle in using our gifts to his honor and glory within the church amongst his people? Have we been a bit rebellious in looking over the needs that have occurred within the church, thinking that someone else will take care of it? Have we come to a mindset saying, that's not my job, that's yours. Have we been saying, I'm here to see what the church can give me, to support me, rather than seeing the church as a place where we can give our best to? Do we come to church to see how we can serve others through the Lord's help? Or do we come to church to see how others? Do we come to give our time and efforts and gifts to bless others in honor of the freedom we now have in Jesus because he is and does provide more than enough for you and me? Say, we're free. Or do we idly sit by expected to be tended to because Jesus is not enough for us and we need more from his people? See, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse verses 23 through 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, inherit, his, the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is what, in principle, Paul is getting at here. The idle person serves self and not the Lord. So we admonish an idle person in whatever sense that he or she is being idle in. Like, for example, refusing to serve or care for the church in any capacity. Refusing to care for their children or husband or wife. Or people who refuse to work. Or people just being rebellious against their responsibilities in life. Whatever the case. We are to help those who are idle to see how they can honor Christ by living out those God-given responsibilities through what the Lord has revealed in Scripture so, they, so that they can fulfill their calling to the Lord and honor Him and bring praise to Him in all things. And another, and that's another aspect of this. You sitting out there looking at me, Even though you're not in an official position of the church like a pastor, right? You don't have the same spiritual authority as a pastor. Guess what? You still have a call upon you to minister to the people around you in this capacity if idleness becomes an issue. You are to still look out for your brother or sister who is walking the path of idleness and to admonish them from their idleness, so that they can pursue and know Christ more and live from all that he has provided for them rather than to live for what others can provide for them. Because we have been free. You're called to remind them of that freedom. We are to be a ministering church to each other in this area of life. Or put more bluntly, we are not to ignore or feel inadequate or intimidated in admonishing our brothers and sisters from idleness. We are not to say, well, that's their problem, that's their own issue, that's their own choice. Not my problem. Because listen, just as they have been called to not be idle and follow the ways after, after God, you too are called to admonish them because that is the way that you also follow up. It's important to remember that Christianity is not a them thing. It's not an I thing. It's a we thing. We are in this together for Christ. Now, Paul then moves on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. Who are these faint-hearted that need encouragement then? Well, I'll tell you. It's those who easily worry, those who quickly fret, Those who are prone to discouragement in the Christian life, those who tend to just want to give up, give in, and be paralyzed in fear in this life. Not everyone is bold and strong in the Christian life. Though we would like to think everyone is strong once they come to faith, but that's simply not true. Not everyone can bear the burdens and trials and threats that come their way. No, there are those Christians who constantly run run into doubts, become depressed, have a gloomy outlook on life. That live in fear. That just assume nothing will work out. That just don't see how things are going to get better. That just don't see how God is going to take care of them fully. Or to put more bluntly, there are those who have major trust issues with the Lord over their lives. The stresses of life just keep bringing them down. So how do we approach such, uh, approach such people? Paul says don't admonish or correct them encourage such people. Uplift them. Speak the truth of the gospel to the people. Tell them that it's finished in Christ for them. And tell them that it's all going to be okay for them in the end because their end is with him, even if they can't see it. Help them understand all things, no matter what it is. All things are working out for their good in Jesus. All things are only working for their betterment in him because Christ has everything covered for them. Remind them as Romans 8.28 says, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Or declare to them the truth of God as Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhibits who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We may need just to pray with them and remind them who God is and what he is doing with them and to them, as Isaiah 53, 4 says. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with the vengeance, with, recon- with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And here's the thing. We all can run into faint faint-heartedness. Some tend to stay there for a long time. So are you willing to? are you willing to admit that you're having a hard time and ask for encouragement in whatever you're facing? And if you are the one who are who's asked, are you willing to only give encouragement in the Lord and not belittle them instead? To, to, not, to not speak to them about how they're dumb for worrying about such things or to question them in amazement as how could they ever fret about this or that? Because you never fretted about that or this. So what's wrong with that? And so on and so on. But when asked, or if you see someone being faint-hearted, can you remove yourself from the situation and rather encourage them to know that their all-loving Savior has got their life covered? That he's got their back no matter what? For they for they don't need to hear the words, you can do it. They need to hear the words, it's been done in Jesus. They need to hear the words, as John 19.30 says, it is finished. That's the greatest encouragement you can give them, to say rest in Jesus, for he has already won this for you, and he will get you through this every step of the way. And though you do not trust him at this moment, and are doubting, he will not hold it against you at all, but rather just give you his grace and love. So that when you're curled up upon the floor saying, I can't, I can't, he will be there next to you telling you that he knows. He knows you can't. And that's why he has come to say, it is done. So you can just rest in him. by faith. That is what we need to tell the faint hearted. And that is what the faint-hearted need to embrace. Will you tell it? And will you embrace it? The third group Paul then points out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is, Help the weak. He's not referring to those who can't lift heavy weights. No, the word... So, now, this word, help, he says there, it means be committed to. Cling to, so Paul here is saying, cling to the weak. And the weak here, then, are the spiritually weak weak when it comes to immorality. Those who keep falling into temptation. Those that find it hard to resist the worldly pleasures of life in regards to sin. Paul here is saying, don't abandon those believers who are struggling with the same sins over and over. Don't get frustrated and give up on them. But be there for them. Stand beside them. Shoulder their burdens with them. Remind them that they belong to the church. Remind them that they have a family of believers who love them in Christ, even with their struggles with sin. But more importantly, lay hold of them through reminding them that Christ will never let them go, even in the worst of sins no matter if they are repeat offenders of God's law. For Christ cried in Mark 15, 34, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken for our sin so that we would never have to be. And so it is important for all of us to remember that Christ does not abandon his own no matter how great the sin is or how many times it comes about. because think of this, think of this. For if we are to forgive our brothers and sisters who sin against us an infinite amount of times, as Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Can I be done after seven times and say I'm out? Jesus said to him, and I'm sure so lovingly, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. If that's the case, the way we're called to interact with those who sin, then we should encourage those who are struggling with sin, saying Christ will also always forgive them, always forgive us, and will never give up on us, even if we sin against him constantly with the same sin, for he forgives unconditionally. We all need to be reminded at times in our weakness, in our weakness of sin, to know that Christ has has not and will not abandon us. Those who have faith in him, even with as little or as small of a faith that we may have, that it may be. He will not remove us from him, but rather just love us. Just as Isaiah 42, verse 3 says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. To put this in perspective, okay, to see what Paul is getting at here, church, what Paul is getting at. Church should be the first place you go to when you mess up. People in the church should be the first people to come to your mind when you fall back into sin and go looking for help. It shouldn't be the last place you would ever go in fear of judgment. Sadly, So I ask, are you someone that people can come to help with their sin, knowing you won't abandon them or get frustrated with them, but rather will cling to them to help strengthen them. Strengthen them in Jesus and remind them of the unconditional forgiveness and unconditional salvation they have in him. Then lastly, Paul says in response to all of this, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 be. Patient with them all. So, you know what that means? Your ministry to people, then in this church, our ministry as a church to struggling people with what has just been mentioned in those categories, our ministry in the church needs to be marked by anger, marked by frustration. Marked by harshness, by patience with all of them. Marked by long-suffering with them. Marked by a long temper with all of them, and not a short, quick, or quick, piercing, harsh action or response. For no matter what you may think of how big of an issue that you think it is, which it might very well be, God's way for you to deal with admonishing the idol. Encouraging the faint hearted and helping the weak in all cases is to be marked by patience, not by harshness, no matter how much of a thorn or how annoying someone is to you in any of this. For God Himself is patient with us, as Psalm 145, eight through nine says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So what's God's will for you in all of this, and how to approach people? God's will for you and me as we minister to people is to be one of patience. Willing to bear the pain in dealing with people. Willing to go the extra mile with them. Willing to give that extra undeserved time and say that same thing yet again for the hundredth time even though they keep ignoring you. See, I heard one person say this, and I think it's great, it summarizes this. I heard this way back. Church should be a place where sin does not shock and where grace still amazes. That's the type of ministry our church is called to do amongst each other. Is that us? Is that our church? With all that's been said here today, is that true of you and me? Does sin shock? Does grace still amaze? If we're honest, we don't live up to all that that has been said here in our approach with people. Sometimes maybe, but not all the time. This is an all the time thing. And on top of that, in fact, we may have areas in our own lives that... The very things of being idle or faint hearted or spiritually weak we're dealing with. On top of not being patient or admonishing. That's kind of bad news. But remember, the gospel is good news. And the goal of all this is to point you to Jesus, not to have spiritual navel gazing. Okay? The goal is to have you look to Christ. So notice then. With all these people, with all these issues, major issues, guess what? They're all the church. They're still believers. People who God calls his own, even with all these sins and failures and inconsistencies. These broken people are still considered the church. How is that possible? Well, because they're all saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice for their sins. He was perfect. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law before God so that all these people could be declared justified before God and enjoy his wondrous blessings and love and fellowship forever, even though they were struggling hard with sin. And guess what? That's the same for you and me if we have faith in Christ. For though our sins have been revealed to us here today in this passage, and I pray that they were, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts. But then at the same time, he also gives us full assurance, that of, of our salvation because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through Him we believe by faith alone that He has covered all of our sins, just like these struggling Thessalonians by His life, death, and resurrection, fulfilling all the requirements before God so that we can be His children by faith alone, to just receive His grace. The gospel says all is done in Jesus, and we are to rest in Him, even if we fail at the very things mentioned here today. His grace does not leave us. Love does not abandon us, nor will he ever forsake us. For it's finished in Christ for all of us by faith alone in him. Let that gospel truth then empower us to follow our Savior despite our faults, to be his ministering church to each other, and point each other to Jesus all to his glory. Amen.